Hey folks, welcome back to the 105th episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, co-hosting with my colleague Bruce Kelly. We are talking today with Lisa Salvi, Managing Director of Business Consulting and Education at Schwab Advisor Services. And we're going to be talking about the just released 16th annual RIA benchmarking study that uh, that uh, researched and looked into uh, more than 1,200 firms representing $1.8 trillion in assets under management. Before we get into this, Bruce, anything you want to, uh, any deep thoughts you want to share with us before we get rolling today? No, but I understand Lisa's going on vacation with two six-year-olds uh, <laughs> next week, so... She was telling. She informed us of that a little while ago, and I had pangs of you know, yeah, uh, going on. Are they? Do you have twins, Lisa? Or, or I do, or I do. I have a boy and a girl, so we're going to drive all the way from uh, the Bay Area in California to Yellowstone. So it should be incredible, but also um, that's a long car ride. <laughs> I'm a twins parent too. Awesome. How old are yours? Uh, they're 15, so they just finished 10th grade. Congratulations. And, uh, we're going on a small trip this weekend, a family reunion in New Jersey, but we'll be in a car and a train and things, you know, for a while. So we'll have to share notes to see who's who's do less mayhem. <laughs> I could use some advice. So you've been through it. <laughs> Lisa, if you can uh, if you can handle Bruce and I for uh, for a half hour, you you should be well prepared for your. Uh, <laughs> yes. Done with two six year olds, because <laughs> anyway, uh, the research is great. You, Lisa and I, you, we, we talked about it a lot earlier this week. I wrote a story about it. Lots of cool stuff in there. I'm going to ask you to kind of set the, set the stage here by sharing the, some of the key findings as you saw them from the research. And I understand you've been working, you've been part of this research project for the past 10 years in some capacity, correct? That's right. Yeah. It's really a great way for us to be able to give a lot of insights back to those participating firms. So the 1,200 plus firms that participated get an individual report back, and it just really helps set the stage for their growth and their planning. Uh, but it also lets us do some fun things like these conversations where we just look at the whole industry. And my team also uses uh, the data we get, the best practices we learn to help inform a lot of our consulting programs and thought leadership as well. So. Um, thanks for having me, you guys. Um, I'm really happy. I love talking about this stuff. Congrats on 105 podcast episodes. That's pretty incredible as well. And if I was going to just set the stage of the results we had, um, this is the 2022 study. So it really reflects year end 2021. It was an incredible year. Exceptional growth for RIA firms across the board, across nearly every business metric you can think of. And that the story is really around growth and the importance of talent, if I had to sum it up in two words. Talk about a couple of the, the I guess, specific points of the growth. Uh, I know you, you divided this, as far as firms go, into six different categories. I wrote about, well, for example, I'll, I'll quote your report, uh, firms with between 100 million and 200 million with a median asset base of 176 million grew by 18.8% last year, which compares to a 14.1% five-year compound annual growth rate. I, that's a lot of numbers I just threw out there, but just keep in mind comparing last year's 18.8% growth in assets we're talking about to a an, an average over the past five years of 14.1. What 
and that's the that's the lowest, and the numbers just keep growing from there as you get to the larger firms. What do you think is driving all of these assets? It's it, I know there's market, and we talk about that as well. We're gonna you can pull out the the market performance, but if you pulled out the market performance, Lisa, what is driving all this growth? Yeah, so you're exactly right. If I look at AUM uh, across the study, it was up 19.5 percent. Revenue was up 23.2 number of clients, 6.2%. That's for all firms at the median. Those are incredible numbers. I think you and I both believe in looking at that organic growth rate as well, because it tells you more about the controllable aspects of growth. Um, and that's also just a phenomenal story for firms over 250 in AUM. They had 7% organic growth. And we always like firms to really look at that number because it's more controllable. It's more reflective of the value proposition they're delivering in the marketplace, the client experience they're delivering. And um, that's a really healthy rate. It strips out that market performance. And we all know 2022, the market environment, there's a lot of headwinds against firms. So that strong organic growth really positions those firms well for continued success into the future. Uh, probably the number one other question I get is just how do some firms outperform? So we also look at a cohort of firms called the top performing firms. It's the top 20% of firms across 15 key metrics in the study. Firms of all sizes are represented there. And those top performing firms, this kind of blows my mind, but they had 16.1% organic growth last year. So that is really showing us a group of firms that are performing exceptionally well. Yeah, I know top performing firms is a is a kind of a standard in this research. Can you define for our audience what we're talking about when, you, when you're saying the top performing firms? Yeah, so a couple years ago, um, we wanted to really isolate which metrics when taken together are most indicative of outperformance for firms. And we did a pretty robust project. We brought in our data scientists. We did a lot of regression testing and we isolated 15 key metrics that were most important for firms growth and outcomes. Um, so those firms perform extremely well. What gets really interesting though, is to look at some of the behaviors that those firms put into place. So those firms are much more likely to have a strategic business plan, for example. They are much more likely to have a documented ideal client persona, something I'm very passionate about all firms having. They have a documented client value proposition. And so when we look at some of those foundational strategies that they take the time to put in place, it really does tend to lead to that level of outperformance that we're talking about. In fact, firms that have an ideal client persona and a client value proposition, as well as a written marketing plan, they get 45% more new client assets in a given year. I mean, if there's a silver bullet, that's pretty close to it, to have those three strategies in place, that is a very high level of growth for those firms. So are you suggesting by employing those three things alone, you could be, you have a potential to become one of the top performers? maybe in a few years? Yes, absolutely, you can be. Um, I, I always joke with my team, we're on a mission to help every single RIA firm have a documented ideal client persona because really knowing who you're building your business for makes such a difference across every decision you might make in your firm. What kind of tech staff to have, how often to have in-person meetings, 
um, how to spend your advertising and marketing dollars. So those things are really important. We've been um, working with firms for years on this and we see the number of firms that have those in place does increase year over year. So uh, we would love to help every single firm have those in place because it's just such a, a, such a, a great way to run your business very effectively. Let's talk a little bit about the hiring and staffing. That was yeah. something that stood out to me in the research. You have it broken down a little bit as the median firm grew to 307 clients, uh, a 6.2% one year increase compared to a five year compound and annualized growth rate of 5.1%. The thing that was interesting to me is when you're talking about all this growth, organic or otherwise, is the number of advisors and I guess staff members in general that the industry is going to need over the next five years. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so when we talk about this growth story, the other side of that is that a lot of hiring is going to need to happen to help firms keep up with this growth. Uh, right now, the median firm that you and I have been referring to has about $545 million in AUM. That firm that's at that size today is going to need to hire six new roles in the next five years to keep up with their growth. And that's not taking into account attrition. So going from around eight employees to uh, adding six more, that's pretty significant when you think of the implications and how different that is, almost doubling in size. Um, what I wanted to do this year is kind of project this out across the industry in terms of how much hiring is going to need to happen. So we took a look at that and came to the realization that we're going to need to hire as an RA industry about 70,000 new roles in the next five years. So we essentially need to fill up an entire football stadium with people who are not currently in the industry today to support the growth of the future. And again, that's fairly conservative. We're not taking into account attrition. We're not taking into account retirement or even newly formed firms, which of course will be quite a few new firms in the next five years. So that kind of, you know, is, it, it puts into perspective just how important it is to really have a talent strategy at your firm. And firms are feeling it too. They told us that their number one strategic priority in 2022 is uh, talent related. And that's the first time we've ever seen that come in in 16 years at the number one spot. Usually it's always growing through referrals in some capacity. So they're feeling it. The 70,000 new hires number over the next five years, that is factoring in the technological advances that create efficiencies in the economies of scale and stuff like that, which to me is even more impressive, right? Yeah, and I love that you touched on that too, um, because sort of the other side of that growth, that talent story, right, is how can we leverage productivity and efficiency, uh, especially some of the gains that we've made over the past few years with more digital adoption, using more um, digital experiences, workflows, API integrations. How can we use those things to make sure that we're running firms as efficiently as possible? And maybe you don't have to hire quite so many people because you're leveraging the process changes and the digital tech stack capabilities. Um, and firms are thinking about that too. So that one came in at our fifth highest priority this year for the industry. 
And uh, that again is a little bit higher than it was in 2021 when we asked the question, it came in at number seven. Yeah, a good time to be uh, maybe a college student studying uh, financial planning. Bruce, uh, what do you have for Lisa? Hey there, Lisa. Just, I was, ex- I was curious if you could give us a couple of examples of these, what did you call them? I, ideal client portraits that people are focused on? Like, how does that rate, like, is it, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, in traditional brokerage practices or traditional RIA models, someone would focus on dentists or someone would focus on doctors or someone would focus on airline pilots, et cetera, you know, or how does that, what is that looking like and what is that, how is that similar or different to that old school kind of brokerage target that you would go to go after? Yeah, I actually like your term ideal client portraits. We call it the ideal client persona. Well, I was thinking portrait on the wall, right? I kind of like, like that though, because what we want to do is we want to bring it to life, right? Like Charles Schwab go- can use it. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, well, we want it when we work with firms on this you know, we don't want it to be a list of just demographic information. Exactly. You know, you want to really bring someone to life. So when we're working with firms, we like to have them actually think about the psychographic and the demographic characteristics. Sometimes psychographic meaning what? So things like uh, what their life stages, what are their hobbies? What are their passions? uh, What kind of charitable giving do they have? Uh, we have some firms that have written three-page profiles about their ideal client uh, where they actually name the dog and the type of dog that the family has. So they're bringing it to life on an extraordinarily vivid basis. You mean if they have a Doberman or a Scottish Terrier? Or yeah, I think this one was a chocolate lab, but any dog, <laughs> and we, we, we're equal opportunity for all dog breeds, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> But you know what this firm figured out was they were getting a lot, they're in the Bay Area, so Silicon Valley, where we're in sort of a interesting, you know, real estate environment. And they were realizing that a lot of their clients were coming from um, real estate transactions where people had inherited a house like from their parents and weren't quite sure what to do with it, right? Because it, it, it had accumulated a lot of value in Silicon Valley and just by specializing in the unique aspects of the real estate market in the Bay Area, uh, they started to really hone in on that ideal client. So it's someone who has one or two working parents, um, tech industry, children in private school. Um, in their scenario, this family has a second home in Tahoe. So you know, a lot of really specific information they named this client, they trained every single person in their firm exactly what makes that client special and what that client cares about. They make their business decisions through what would what would please this client. I, I don't know if I should say the name, but what would please, we'll call them the Smith family, um, including like how many in-person meetings to have. They realized some of their ideal clients um, have family members who speak a, spe- a second language. So they actually hired someone who can speak that second language. Um, they realized a lot of their ideal clients are really thinking about um, college. So more of a specialization there. So it starts that's to make very, it really That's very high level marketing. Yeah, I mean, all great businesses do this. This is not 
special to our industry by any means, but it's it when you really put it into place in detail, it really turbocharges your efficiency of your other decisions. You can train your staff to think through the lens of what would the Smith family want, for example, and you can also get your centers of influence. So a lot of those real estate um, specialists in the area knew exactly who to refer to this firm and that it would be a great experience if they did that. And they would actually get emails that say, we have another client for you. And it would be very close to what they're looking for. So it just really is magic. There's all sorts of other firms that do different things. I know one firm that specializes in engineers. And even though every client they get is not an engineer, the feedback they get from their, their prospects is, well, if you're able to work with engineers and those are pretty smart people, I think you could manage my assets as well. So it just it helps speed up the decision making. And it's a great way to train your whole team on who you're building your business to serve and how to make those strategic trade-off decisions. Anything to get people in any uh, industry or endeavor to, to refocus or, or get a, get a um, tighter focus on, on what they're doing or what they're pursuing, I think is helpful, right? My other question, Lisa, is I don't know if this is, is, if this is more off the survey or on the survey, but something I've always been interested in with the RA aggregators is that how they've almost kind of replaced or they're becoming these kind of super regional financial planning type firms um, in the Midwest or the Northwest or the Bay Area or New York City, Manhattan or, or Northeast or Boston or something like that, Philadelphia. What, if anything, do you see in your survey this year about these big firms getting bigger, but then you have obviously the aggregators too, like a Focus Financial. Focus is in its own RIA. It's a holding company that, you know, has RIAs underneath it, basically, or part of it. Um, and that's how it operates. Does the survey this year tell you anything about, about these aggregators and how they're working? Or We do have some of that data, but we have, we have to pull it manually. I would say what they're concerned with is um, helping those individual or underlying firms or locations be as successful as possible. So a lot of the same things we've been talking about matter a lot there. So things like efficiency and productivity, some of those aggregators have, uh, some of those businesses that you're describing have more centralized operations. Some are a little decentralized. So that can be something that we work with firms on. Uh, we will help sometimes with uh, getting strategic plans in place, which is another way to get at what you said a minute ago, which is to create clarity and a clear vision for the future of a firm or a location. Um, we work with some of those firms on things like ideal client, client value proposition. And increasingly, I would say one of the biggest issues um, that a lot of those larger firms are looking at is the, the talent scenario within a firm. So is there G2, G3 level leadership within the firm? How do we develop the talent in the firm? How do we retain that talent? Um, so things like career pathing, a lot of those large firms have in place and that's, that can be a real differentiator for people looking to potentially join a firm. Yeah, a lot of these big aggregators are still, right, Jeff? They're still very driven by the guy who started it uh, 10 or 20 years ago. 
Yeah, we're doing a little bit of research right now just around um, M&A and some of those types of transactions as well. And one of the shifts is uh, talent's always been part of that equation, but now it's like the number one reason why firms are citing that they might do an acquisition. So talent is the story right now across the board and investing and having strong talent development within a firm really can set you apart whether you want to be an enduring firm for many years and you're going to do an internal succession or whether you want to maximize your value for a potential outright or partial sale that gets into a couple other things in your research lisa the uh, employee value proposition that we talked about obviously if you're trying to recruit and retain talent that's got to be a priority correct Absolutely. So I think you see many businesses thinking about their, what we like to call the employee value proposition. So just like you have a value proposition for your clients, you should have a value proposition for your employees that kind of spells out how you're going to invest in them, what they get for working at your firm in return for them dedicating their career to your firm, essentially. So we did a deep dive on talent in this year's study. We found that about 40% of firms have a documented employee value proposition. It's not just a statement though, it's really making sure you have good underlying programs. So some of the things you've gotta have represented in that employee value proposition is um, your approach to a flexible work environment, whether you have one or not. Um, so, or work location flexibility as some people like to call it compensation. If you've got a career path, you should talk about it. If you have a path to equity ownership, absolutely put that in there. Um, I've had more and more firms asking me about maternity and paternity leave or kind of creating a family leave policy to indicate that they're family friendly within their firm. Um, diversity and inclusion is a really great thing to highlight. So, oh, and the other one that's becoming more and more uh, prevalent is mentorship which i think is kind of interesting i had an advisor tell me the other day every single candidate that they've interviewed in the last two years has asked about mentorship and i think that's a really nice one that's not too hard to put into place especially if you kind of do a rotation every six months trading up those minty mentor relationships because it just creates more kind of understanding across different groups of people the founders can pass on more of their thinking about the early days of the firm or the values. And you learn a lot from some of these younger people coming into the industry as well. So that's a really nice one to think about also and maybe put in that employee value proposition. Something that you guys were talking about a minute ago was the succession plans. And this is, I'm gonna quote from your research here, I thought was kind of interesting. Firms with under 250 million, 55% of them have written succession plans Firms over 250 million, 65%, and the top performing firms, 80%. Now, I guess I'm not surprised on the top performing firms, but industry-wide, my experience is that the percentage is much lower than 55% even. Don't Do you think that these firms are maybe budging their uh, succession plan uh, <laughs> acknowledgements, or, or are they just super good firms? <laughs> um, well, we have seen that number tick up a little bit year over year. Um, there are some smaller firms where you might never have a, a, a true succession plan. Maybe you could have a business continuity plan, but 
if it's just you and maybe an operations person in the firm, uh, internal succession is probably not going to be an option. And so we we do have some firms that have done some matchmaking in those scenarios to have a uh, to work with another like-minded firm. They're not like combining their businesses necessarily, but they know they would serve each other's clients if something were to happen. Top performing firms are interesting though, because at 80% of firms, that's firms of all sizes. And one of the things I like to think, help firms think about when we talk about succession planning, it's not just a single event in time. It can be multiple things. And having that um, employee development, that mentorship, that giving people a you know project that might be important on the strategic plan, but stretches them outside of their day job, all of those things that can be part of a succession plan or talent development have benefits today as well. Um, you know, those are great ways to develop the skill set and that entrepreneurial mindset beyond the founders. I had two more things I want to touch on quick before we let you go on your vacation. Um, diversity. The this is that's not a big part of this research, but as I'm sure you know, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion is all over the wealth management industry. It's all over the the globe, I shouldn't say just wealth management, but is that going to become a larger part of your research going forward, do you think? Yeah, it is a big part of our research. We have a second part of this study, our compensation study, which will be out uh, later this summer. And we have a lot of metrics and data on that. Um, I love that you asked that question. It's really important. Uh, we have more and more firms reaching out about diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially the larger firms that do a lot of hiring. In fact, we just kicked off a cohort of firms. We have 20 firms that are coming together for five months uh, for a program we call Building an Inclusive Firm Culture. So they will work on their diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy and vision together um, with our team and put that into place within their firm. It's, a, it's not something that's ever probably going to be done. It's something we have to look at for the long term of our industry. Um, it's important to talent and it's important to clients. And I think we will see more progress being made in the future. That's my hope because we spend a lot of time uh, focused on that very question. And we, we define diversity as uh, generational. So getting more young people into the industry, gender, um, you know, getting some more women in the industry, especially in senior leadership roles and racial and ethnic diversity. So there's a lot of, of work to be done across the board. And then finally, I want to ask you about the, uh, the economy and the markets and the impact on the RIA space. We talked about that, you and I, earlier this week about how it almost seems counterintuitive to think the, the asset management, the wealth management industry benefits when times are, are toughest because that's when a lot of people are going for professional help. Right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it never feels great when the markets are doing the kinds of things they're doing right now um, because it creates a lot of you know, pressure on AUM and revenue, of course. But there's never been a time in this industry where we've gone through a period of uncertainty or unrest and we haven't seen investment advisory firms come out uh, gaining market share, gaining more clients. Their value proposition, the way they communicate with their clients and answer their questions and give that professional level of help, it really resonates. And so what we tend to see and what we started to see even in 2021 was um, 
existing clients wanted their advisory firm to manage more of their assets. So they brought some more assets over for that professional level of management. Um, referrals were strong and a lot of people who might've been doing it on their own or maybe just weren't um, having the results they wanted with a different type of advice model uh, tend to gravitate towards that RA profession. So I would expect over the next couple of years, we'll see really strong results. The organic growth metric that we started our conversation around is a really important one and it's so healthy. I think we will continue to see a lot of success. Bruce, any final thoughts uh, or questions for Lisa or advice on uh, raising teenagers? <laughs> Enjoy them when they're six as opposed <laughs> to 16. I hear you. <laughs> Good advice. All right. Well, we want to thank Lisa Salvi, Managing Director of Business Consulting and Education at Schwab Advisor Services. And you should get a chance to check out the 16th Annual RA Benchmarking Study. Tons of stuff there. Uh, Lisa, where can people find that aside from reading my story, which only summarizes it? We'll release some of that on aboutschwab.com. And if you want to follow me on LinkedIn as well, I'll be putting out some of those findings along the way. Okay, good stuff. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, Jeff. Launching every Monday, it's the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank once more our special guest, Lisa Salvi, Managing Director, Advisor Services with Charles Schwab. We also want to thank Angelica Hester, our producer. Of course, you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com. You can also find it at Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. You can reach Jeff via Twitter. His handle is at Benji Ryder. Mine is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week.